So good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. This is James Schofield, the creator of all the stories in Behind the Bottom Line, the business fiction podcast. This is the final episode of Season 8's story, The Impressions. Now, if you haven't listened to Episodes 1 to 3, then, yeah, well, shame on you. Go back this instant and listen to them before you find out in this episode all about the background to this story and what it's all based on. Today, I'm going to talk a little bit about the City of London, where the story takes place, about the sources for the different characters. Uh, I'm going to look at an interesting theory about what some people believe could explain ghosts. And finally, I'm going to introduce you to my next project. So let's begin with the most important character of all in this story, and that is the City of London. Now, this is not London as a whole with its eight to nine million people. This is the City of London, which is the official heart of London. It's just one square mile, um, 7,000 residents, and it's all really based around the Bank of England. The first settlement was founded by the Romans in AD 43 as a trading centre, and it's stayed that way really ever since. Um, Fun fact, there are more Japanese banks here than in Tokyo. Uh, Fun fact number two, there are more American banks here than there are in Manhattan. Now, I spent quite a lot of time in the city of London when I was a student because I was studying history of art and in that, this area, there are 51 churches, including St. Paul's Cathedral. And um, actually, this is down from uh, before the Great Fire of London. There were something like 100 churches in the area. Now, obviously, something like 49 of them got wiped out by the Great Fire of London and also by bombing in the Second World War. Um, but still, 51 is quite a lot for a fairly, fairly small area. Um, and I had to visit quite a few of them as part of my studies. Um, and I also had a job uh, shortly after university working for a wine merchants. And I used to deliver wine in a small van all around that area. And on one occasion, I only narrowly missed running over the governor of the Bank of England. At that time, a man called Robin Lee Pemberton. The area has dozens of great street names which tell you about the history of the place. For example, Garlic Hill, which I mentioned in episode one, was near a garlic market. And Watling Street uh, has been used as a road since even before the Romans. And it seems to have been first paved uh, in about AD 47. I actually found it quite hard visiting the city of London Uh, when I was a poor student because there was so much wealth around and there was so much wealth being thrown around um, that it was really quite painful to watch. Nevertheless, it's an area which always repays visiting and obviously an area which has been so important for so long um, that is all sorts of potential for mysterious visitations from creatures of the other world like the Impressions. So after the City of London, the next most important character, of course, is Felicity Appleby. 
she's really a combination of quite a lot of clever women who I've known. And I think for clever women entering the workplace after having been a student, it's quite hard, especially if you don't get a job in the area you studied, you get badly patronised. The story in episode one of a senior manager complaining to his team assistants about being seated in business class near the airplane lavatory was told to me uh, by one of the models for Felicity who knew more about 20th century modern painting than anybody else I knew. These kind of women also suffer, I think, from what is expected of them in terms of the clothes that they wear. Um, women's classic office clothes are, are really, really suspect, although I think things are gradually changing. But until recently, if women didn't wear those ridiculous little suits which had no useful pockets and were always too tight, they were seen as unprofessional. Um, in fact, a friend of mine was told that she shouldn't wear the flowery dresses she liked to wear in the office because nobody would take her seriously. What was even worse about that story was she was told this by women. Julie and Paula are two characters who often appear in my stories um, and inevitably cause havoc and mayhem wherever they go. And the reason I constantly return to these two characters is that they represent the anarchy that I think often lurks below the surface of apparently seemingly normal people and the extraordinary things that sometimes happen in offices. Aid and Dushini is a compilation of a lot of awful men types that I've worked with over the years um, and who have all damaged various women friends of mine. And if any of you are listening, I mean here the men and the women, you know who I'm talking about. So the impressions are, of course, really kinds of ghosts. And as regular listeners to my podcast will know, I have a lot of time for ghosts and I'm personally convinced that I actually saw a ghost tree, which was not in the least bit alarming when I was 10. And if you read and listen enough to documented cases, the counter arguments put forward by rationalists to explain ghosts by reducing them to creaky floorboards or water pipes seem much more absurd than the idea that there might be something supernatural which we can't explain at the moment. One of the theories that I find interesting is the idea that if a location has experienced an intense amount of emotion, it can be recorded by the building itself and replayed to people who are sensitive to the atmosphere there. There was a famous BBC television play called The Stone Tape in the 70s, which led to this idea being called the Stone Tape Theory. But it's actually much older, going back to the 19th century and early 20th century. Here's a quote from a short story writer, E.F. Benson, from that time. One of the characters is trying to explain why the disconnected telephone in the house repeatedly rings. Don't you think that great emotion, like that of Mrs. Hearns, may make some sort of record? He asked. So that if the needle of a sensitive temperament comes in contact with it, a reproduction takes place. What's clever about that story is the writer is using a piece of then very modern technology as the object which has recorded something supernatural. 
If it was an antique cupboard or bed which showed strange behaviour, you'd expect it. But by using a telephone, it makes the event seem much more sinister. So I find the idea that buildings could harbour the impression of previous generations really very plausible. I have a question for you. What did you think of the soundscaping, that is, all the sound effects that I included in this series? This is something new. I wanted to try to make the experience a much more immersive experience, and it was quite a lot of fun building up layers of sound. It felt a little bit like painting, and as I'm a useless artist, uh, this was the closest I could ever get to feeling like I was painting a sound picture for people. I hope you felt it was worth it, um, because it was quite a lot of work, and I would be really interested to hear your views. So post your thoughts on my website, www.behindthebottomline.com, in the reviews section. Finally, for this season, I'm taking a break from podcasting for a while, and I will be concentrating on a novel. I've sketched out a comic murder mystery set at Lake Garda, and today, as a special treat for you, here is the beginning of chapter one. What must we remember? asked Signor Bertoldi rhetorically as he walked slowly down the line of porters, waiters, cooks, chambermaids and bellboys standing stiffly at attention inside the ballroom as a new week begins. It was April 1901 and the week that was to end with the death of Dr. Richard von Stahl began quite normally with Signor Bertoldi's Monday morning staff inspection. Signor Bertoldi, manager of the Grand Hotel Gardano at that time, ran it on military lines. He was our general, and the respect we all had for him was founded on our admiration for the strategic brilliance he showed in organising us to look after our guests. I followed a step behind, notepad in hand, ready to take down any instructions the great man might issue, and doing my best to look impressive. I was very aware of the new chambermaid from Turin, Allegra, who'd started a few weeks earlier, and who, I was afraid, laughed about me behind my back with the other chambermaids, which was annoying because there was something special about her. In the Grand Hotel Gardano, we do not demand recognition for what we do. He paused to straighten the cap of one of the lobby bellboys, which was at an angle Signor Bertoldi considered frivolous. But if we know what we are doing, recognition will come. Whether we are a boot boy, a chambermaid, or a sorcier, he fixed a fierce eye on the sauce chef, whose sauce bayonnaise had contained too much estragon the previous evening, and who now looked as if he wished the floor would swallow him. We do what we do out of pride in our work and a desire to serve our guests. Now, go to your posts, and prepare for the morning steamer from Desenzano. The new guests will be arriving in... He checked his pocket watch. Twenty-three minutes. 
and Yamo. I may come back from time to time with episode updates on the progress of the book, so keep subscribing on your podcast player to Behind the Bottom Line so you don't miss anything. And remember, if you'd like to listen to other episodes or buy some of my books, go to my website www.behindthebottomline.com and check it out. And I'd love to have your thoughts about the podcast, so leave a review for me there. I hope you enjoyed the impressions and finding out something about its background today. Until the next time, this is James Gofield saying, take care and goodbye.